Good morning, everyone. It's good to see each one of you here. So I guess we'll continue thinking about suffering. And so this morning, the title is Suffering and Temptation. And I don't know... I don't know where to start, really. <laughs> how do you how do you fit the whole struggle of man and and yeah and and if you want to know what God says about suffering or about temptation, you need to start in Genesis and read all the way to the end of Revelation. You know, if if we want to, you know, for good practical advice, we need to read Proverbs and we need to read Galatians and Ephesians. We need to read First and Second Corinthians and Romans. And it goes on, James, First and Second Peter. And so, not only am I trying to talk about temptation and where it comes from and how it's, you know, because we need to think biblically about temptation and how we, how we look at it. It's critical to what we do about it. So not only do we need to talk about that, but we also need to talk about the struggle in it and how hard it is. So I, yeah, I guess you'll get what you get and you have to fill in the rest. Um, and I guess I'll, so I found out that uh, Matt Slaybaugh, so he was, you know, laid up and I found out that he was doing some study for his brother. And uh, I said, hey, I was giving him a hard time about it. I said, hey, you need to do some study for me. And he's like, well, give me your topic. <laughs> So uh, on Friday, he sent me an outline that he'd came up with, which was really neat. And so I thought, well, for the first half hour, I'll preach out of my notes, and then for the second half, I'll <laughs> talk out of his. <laughs> no, but he had some good thoughts, and, and was, it was really interesting. So I, I really appreciate that. So, so an observation, I guess, to start off, um, if, you're, if you're suffering from, uh, from physical pain, People will respond with sympathy and oh, it's it's uh, you know they just feel for you. And, and when I talked about suffering from pain, somebody came through the line that knows what it's like and gave me a hug after that. I thought that was really neat. Um, if you're suffering from responsibility and you have so much to do, people will come to you and say, "Hey, can I lighten your load? Can I fix you a meal? Can I do this or that for you? Can I help?" If you're suffering from temptation. <clears throat> people's reaction is probably mixed. Some people are going to be sympathetic and kind and caring. There's others that will hold you at arm, arm's length. Um, they're going to distance themselves, hold you, you know, what's going on? They may be fairly judgmental. And for good reason, temptation is contagious. Um, I thought I would remember that verse, but uh, it says... Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you're helping someone through temptation, you need to be adequately prepared. And I also will note that this um, message is for believers. If you are a non-believer, uh, when you're faced with temptation, you're going to blow like chaff and burn like stubble. That's just the way it is. And I'm not going to try to motivate you to do well. Um, what you really need is the Spirit of God dwelling within you. So I want to kind of start um, with thinking about some context here.
how are we made, <clears throat> and, and where does temptation come from? And I believe that we are a two-part being, okay? Some people would believe that we're just one, we're just physical. There's no spiritual world. What you see, this is who I am. And I believe that I have a physical being, but I also have an inner man, something you can't see. Some people would believe that we are three parts, that we have, um, we have our physical body, we have our soul, and then we have our spirit. And that, uh, like you'll get, I don't know, some people will believe that because they think that, well, when you're saved, and, and they tie your identity with your spirit. So when you're saved, your spirit is saved, but your soul and, and flesh are still the way that it is. And so if your soul and body sins, it doesn't matter. Your flesh or your spirit's saved and it'll go to heaven. And it depends how you think about that. That's kind of an eternal security um, idea, I guess. Um, but the Bible doesn't talk about just soul and spirit. It talks about the heart and the mind and the bowels. So I believe our inner man is made up of different things, just like our physical body. Like I have an elbow, an arm, fingers... Um, nerves, tendons, bones, it's very complex, and uh, I believe our inner man is that way as well, um, different parts. Um, <clears throat> and I don't necessarily believe that we should talk about ourselves as being separate, like, well, Gary is his soul, but his body is separate. No, they're, they're tied together, and you can't separate them. I guess scripture sometimes will will talk about them separately, but imagine somebody tells you something that is that deeply affects you inside, and you become really sad, and your inner man is struggling, and pretty soon big drops of water come out of your eyes, and you start sobbing. Well, your physical body is tied to your inner man, like you can't separate it. You may. Um, Something might make you nervous, and you're scared about it, and you get close to it, and your heart rate increases, and you maybe start to shake. I don't know that we can necessarily separate them. <clears throat> and our soul loves our body, loves our flesh. Nobody loves me like I love me. And uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 29 through 30, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So we love our flesh and our bodies. We would do, well, we saw that in, uh, in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Satan told God, um, how is it, skin for skin. At first it was like, you know, if you take everything the man has, then he'll curse you. But then Job, or, uh, Satan afflicted Job's body and... Satan was saying that, you know, our flesh is our dearest thing to us. For that, we would curse God. <clears throat> so we love our flesh. And I don't know exactly how this works. Scripture brings out that there is sin dwelling in our flesh, or our flesh is, is, is wicked, contains wicked desires. And I want to read Galatians chapter 5. You can turn to that. Sixteen through twenty five, Galatians chapter five, starting at verse sixteen. 
This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, um, and I was going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, but you can read that if you want. Um, I'm just going to read the one verse at the end to uh, save some time here. But it says, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, But the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So, um, us in our our sinful state, we are slaves to our our flesh, slaves to our desires. And there is no greater desire in our inner man than to satisfy our flesh. So when we're born again, our inner man is reborn, and the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And now we have a battle going on within us. We have the flesh that wants wicked things, and we have the Spirit within us that wants good things. And verse 11 says that the Spirit of God will quicken our mortal bodies so that you know, our bodies that were desiring wicked things can now be used for doing good things. But it's a struggle, and Paul says that he would die daily. And James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, For once come wars and fightings among you. Come not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. So, without a doubt, temptation comes from the flesh, from me, from us. Temptation also comes from the world. And so if you look at it, just we just got done thinking about the flesh, the world is full of people just like me, just like you, that have these, these wicked desires. And they present things to me. They tell me about their sin and how much fun it was. They encourage me to do those things too. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 28. And this is kind of jumping in here in the middle. But And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, 
haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So the world not only enjoys doing it, but they're trying to get other people to do it as well. <clears throat> and uh, some sins require the participation of the world. So temptation comes from the world. And temptation also comes from Satan, the liar. The liar, liar, headed for the lake of fire. He would like nothing more than to see you fall like Adam and Eve. He's crafty. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So, what has your experience of temptation been like? And for me, I guess, so I, I've had certain temptations for as long as I can remember. Um, and I think I'm probably just naturally bent that way. Like, there's just things that attract me. And I guess I attribute it to the flesh. The more I indulge in that, the stronger those desires become. The more I say no, the more I have victory, the easier it is to have victory. <clears throat> I also have temptations that I would attribute to the world. And it looks like this. So I, I'm fairly careful with who I I'm friends with on Facebook because people post all kinds of trash. And you don't really want to scroll on YouTube because invariably um, there's some kind of filth that pops up. Some people will avoid certain places. Some people will um, use internet filters or send their children to private schools because of the world. And I've also experienced some things that I would attribute to the devil. Um, when Missy and I were dating, I experienced some intense struggle. And it was not normal for me, like desires that I'd never had before. And that I, um, that, yeah, was, was strange to me. And it was odd. After we got married a couple months, never struggled with it again. I don't know. Was that the devil? Maybe not, maybe, but I believe the devil tempts us like that. <clears throat> and it would kind of come and go. Like I would, it was, it was bad. I would have, I actually carried a little notebook around with me because when the, when the darkness would come or the torment would come, I couldn't think straight. And I would get so discouraged and frustrated and I would pull out my notebook and, and read what I had written because, I don't know, I would have times where I would have understanding and you know, you, you think godly about your struggle. And then in the midst of the torment, I couldn't think straight. And there was people that, that walked with me through that time. I think I can relate a little bit maybe with Saul and that, you know, that he had a, a just a an affliction from the devil that, um, that tormented him. And, and I don't know for sure if it was Satan. Nobody knows. It seems like it. How concerned are you with temptation in your life? Is it a big deal? 
Temptation's a little bit like playing with fire. Jude, verse 20 through 23. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I think this gives us some urgency. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. For some of you, you probably need to feel the fire a little bit. Get some urgency. It's not a good thing. Temptation is also like walking in the dark a little bit. Some people are okay with darkness. And some people are terrified of the dark. When the temptation comes, it's more than you can handle. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And I would say an indifferent, um, an indifferent reaction to, to temptation is not good. And I would also say that a panic attack when te- temptation comes is not good either. Neither of those are good. I think temptation should motivate you. It should, when the darkness comes, you should be afraid of the dark, but then you should also turn to the Father, look to Him. And some advice for someone suffering in temptation we don't know for sure where our temptation is coming from. We would like to think that it's from the world and from Satan, but reality is is it's probably coming from within, or the odds are it's just as likely to. And the reality is, too, I think, that they work together. Like Satan arranges it that someone from the world presents you with something that is really attractive to your flesh. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about some of these separately but I want you to do them all together. So let's think about the flesh a little bit. And this is more focused on you. And I think humility is helpful. But the the truth of the matter is, is you're having wicked desires. And we are standing before God with wicked thoughts and desires coming out of our hearts. Spiritual growth as a whole comes to mind. Sanctified sanctification. You've been justified. You are secure in the kingdom of God, but you have a lot of sanctifying that needs to happen. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So some good advice there. Get close to God. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. So stop sinning as best you can. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So clean up what's happening on the inside. This is a path that every believer takes. So we start out at a 1. You know, maybe a 1 is living in sin, and we need to get to a 10, but it takes time. It's a process. And for some people, like I've heard stories of 
you know, somebody who maybe uh, is uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol or something like that, that they become a believer and they never have that urge ever again. And that's that happens sometimes, but I would say it's not the normal. What normally happens is that it's a battle. It's one step at a time. And I believe that God does that. Um, not only does he not want robots, like he doesn't want us to just, you know, he takes away the urge and then, you know, of course we would never sin because we'd never have to deal with it. Like, I think God wants us to be to be wise and to make that choice on our own. Um, someone said that, and I forget who it was, or I would, I would, uh, I think it was in a book that I read, but said that the struggle to get from one to a ten <clears throat> is hard intentionally because it it separates the 1 and the 10. So if it would be easy to go from 1 to a 10, it would be easy to go back, right? But if we have to put in blood, sweat, and tears to get there, we're probably not going to go back. So it's a, it's a good motivator um, to not go back to our sin. <clears throat> and another thing, consider the cost of your sin. Grow in wisdom. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. And I'll start reading at verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee, and when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So that he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. I think I'll stop there. No, I'm going to keep going. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. Neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. <clears throat> so, have you ever sat down and considered the cost of your fleshly desire? Have you ever wondered, you know, if I do this, what's going to happen? And you see, you can see, um, not only in stories in Scripture, well, what do you think David would have said if asked about what is the end of your sin? What do you think Samson would have said if you ask him? And there's others in the world, too, that we can see the end of their sin. So grow in wisdom. I guess maybe more importantly, we should ask, what is the sin going to do to God? And then replace your sin 
where you would normally give in to temptation, do something else. Um, Go to Galatians chapter 5. Okay, and I, I read this already. <clears throat> um, but you see the, the spirit lusting against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And it goes across and says all these things, um, starting in verse 19, and all these, these horrible things. And then it goes across, I'm going to start in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. <clears throat> and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. So we've gotten rid of that. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So there's a process of putting off these things that are wicked and putting on, replacing them with some of these fruits of the Spirit. And then bring your desire into the light. It's helpful to find a, a trustworthy person and talk about where you're at. So let's talk about the world next a little bit. Um, this is more focused on others, and I think compassion is appropriate here because we're growing in wisdom. We're starting to see the end of, of the world. We're starting to see the horrible things that are going on, the awful cost of sin playing out. <clears throat> And I'm going to actually skip down through some of this. I want to say a couple things. One is that some people would say, well, let's just, let's isolate. Like, we can, we can actually remove the temptation of the world. If we go live in our own little town, we'll build our own little economy, we'll have our own little heaven on earth, our little paradise. But the problem is you can take out a third of the temptation, but the other two are going to come live in your town with you. The devil will be there, and you're going to be there too. So that's not really a good option. Um, neither is it a good option to just say, well, then the, you know, we're in this world, we're just going to you know, do what the world does, and that's just what it is. You know, we're not going to take any steps to, to isolate from the world. And that's, that's not really a good idea either. You know, we, we definitely avoid some places. We definitely don't watch some movies because of, of what's in there. <clears throat> and I want you to get an idea of the separation that should be, like, we can't go from, from being a Christian and then living in the world. Like, it, it, it doesn't match. There's a gulf between them. I'm going to read John chapter 17, 14 through 16. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So we're actually in a battle with the world. The world is not, does not have your best interest in mind. Um, the world hates you. I'm going to say um, that the answer is to focus on the kingdom of God. Like, let's, let's just let the world go. Like, sometimes it can be so intriguing. Like, we want to see what's going on in the world, and we want to follow what, you know, these celebrities are doing, and we want to see what the sports stars are doing, and it's just 
It's a mess. It's sin. I think sometimes we're best off just don't pay attention. Just let it go and focus on the kingdom of God. And the devil. Finally, something that we can... uh, that we can do. Let's fight with the devil. We can cast out demons and um, tear down strongholds, and we can have authority. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the glory of God. And there's people that do all kinds of things, exorcisms, and um, come up with all kinds of theories about... uh, you know, they'll do spiritual mapping and figure out where the demons are and what demons are, you know, in charge of Goshen and what ones are in charge of Warsaw and South Bend. And um, some people will even go as far as to say that everything is because of demon. All suffering is, like even illness, like, you know, it's the cancer demon or it's the, you know, you name it, the headache demon, whatever. Like, and, and they would say, well, we're actually good creatures. Like, if it wouldn't be for the demons and their influence we'd be fine. We wouldn't need God. Well, that's not true. Um, and this is a large study. We could, we could spend a lot of time here. I want to leave you with a couple things. If you're speaking to the devil and you hear people that do, remember, don't believe a word that he says. He's the father of lies. He's a liar. <clears throat> and do you believe that he can exercise power over what God has given him. I think it plays out a lot like like our Sunday school lesson. Um, God allowed Satan to test Job, but there was lines that Satan couldn't cross, and that was it. And do you think it's a good idea to rebuke Satan? Some people would, and I want to challenge you on that a little bit. Um, Jude chapter 1, verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him any a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. So I don't think it's a good idea to rebuke the devil, um, to try to cast out demons. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. And that's, that's a long discussion that may interest you. We can talk about it later. <clears throat> But let God take care of the of the demons of the devils, and and we'll go into this later. Um, the devil is always trying to get our attention off of Christ. Instead of rebuking him, try asking, "What's God trying to teach me through this? What? Um, why is God allowing this type of suffering? How could this be accomplishing God's will?" <clears throat> Instead of taking matters into your own hands, try praying and asking God to work. And also, the spirit world is hidden. Um, We can't see what's going on, and that's the way it's supposed to be, I believe. And we're actually forbidden to mess with it. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and read about the weapons of our warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So what are these weapons of our warfare? Truth, righteousness, preparation of the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. Does that sound like battle with the devil? (laughs) Truth, to know the truth. We get the truth from Scripture. The truth will set you free. Grow in knowledge of the truth. Understand the truth about sin. Righteousness. Be righteous. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. The more you win the battle, the more you will win the battle. Preparation of the Gospel of Peace. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we stand before God in peace and serenity. Paul actually opened and closed a lot of his books by saying, Grace and peace be unto you. Grace and peace from the Father, from God the Father. Satan brings temptation that brings stress and pressure. We need to understand the gospel of peace. Faith, trust not in your own strength. Put your faith in the Almighty God. Salvation, you must be saved, not of works, but by faith in God. You must trust only in the salvation that comes from God. If there's any, even a speck of trusting in your own self, well, you're going to fail. you'll have misery. And the word of God, be in the word of God. That is how you will grow in truth and knowledge of him. And prayer, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And I think it was the disciples that some of them, they couldn't cast out this demon and they came to Jesus and wondered, why couldn't we cast him out? And I'm sure the question was, well, you know, didn't we say the right thing or didn't we have the power we needed? But Jesus said that it was prayer. This one only comes out by a lot of prayer and fasting. But who wants to do that? Who wants to fight like this? We want to take charge and take control. And, um, you know, we want to say things and, and have people listen, have the demons listen to us. But that's not, uh, that's not how we fight. We fight the devil by turning to the Lord. <clears throat> and, yeah, in all these things, Satan's not even mentioned. We're supposed to go straight to God. So, where is God in our temptation? One thing to know is that God is not the source of, of your temptation. That uh, It's not coming from God. I believe that God is in control, and it comes, you know, God controls the level of temptation. He controls what you're tempt, tempted with, but it's not coming from Him. It's like the story of Job plays out over and over in our lives. 
Satan is the accuser, and he stands before God saying, I don't think you could withstand this type of test. And God says, okay, test him, but don't go beyond this level. And also, uh, Jesus knows what it's like, and I've taken great comfort in this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God knows our frailty, and he knows that we're going to fail. And he experienced this too, except for the failing. He didn't, he didn't fail. <clears throat> and it almost seems like, almost, that God is expecting us to fail. I'm going to reread verse 6. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why would we need to do that unless we had failed? It seems like God knows. God knows where we're at, if we're at a 1 or if we're at a 10. He saves us at a 1, and if we die suddenly while we're at a 1, I believe we're saved. But as we grow, you know, God wants us to get to a 10, and he helps us to get there. But if we make it to a 6 and we die, I believe we're saved. But he wants us to get to a 10. And he says that when we fail in our process to get there, as we work hard and we struggle and we fight and we we do all we can, and whenever we slip, we can go boldly. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> to the throne of grace, that we can obtain mercy and grace in, in time of need. Hang on to that. And I think, so I was initially going to finish up by speaking tonight about God's grace and our suffering, but we have a um, chorus coming tonight, so I'll just talk about it at our last, at my next message, I guess. Um, when I think back to the times in my life where I was suffering and temptation, there's always things that I need to change. So keep your eyes open. <clears throat> there's always something to learn. And one of those things is, is that spiritual maturity does not mean no temptation. It, it, there's some truth to that in the flesh, that the more we win the battle against the flesh, the easier it will become, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to a different place. We'll, we can gain on that. But the Bible says to put on the whole armor of God, not, that we're, not so that we will, won't be tempted, but so that we can stand when temptation comes. So I believe that temptation can come at any time. <clears throat> the accuser will come. Darkness will come. You'll be put to the test. And it'll probably be humbling. Don't be surprised if it reveals things about you that you need to change. I think for me it revealed that I didn't know much about the gospel of peace, the God of grace. You'll probably find out that you're not quite as stable as you thought you were. <clears throat> And also, your testing may not go away. God's using it, I believe, to accomplish something. God could easily take it away, and you would never struggle with it again. But he doesn't always do that. 
Instead, he may opt to walk with it or with you through it. And I, I also believe, um, and Gene Shirk has told me this several times recently, that we are not created to be in a continual state of suffering. Um, and I would agree with that. I, I believe that our, our testing will be, most of the time, a season. There will be times of relief. <clears throat> and another thing to keep in mind, I guess, is like Job, your testing may have more to do with God and Satan than it does you. <laughs> it's interesting, the story of Job, Job's almost a bystander. And it's incredible. But uh, yeah, so keep that in mind too, that it's, it's not just about you. God is willing to walk with you through temptation, no matter what it is. The, the desires of the flesh are awful, and they're common to man. Everybody has them. So walk, walk with the Lord through it. Come out victorious. Well, that's it. I don't know if that made sense or not, or it, I know it wasn't enough, but why don't we close with prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.